0: Welcome to The Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of The Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got John Mies on the line. John, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I am awesome. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I was on your show not too long ago, so thank you again for having me as a guest and really wanted to get you on uh, because you're doing some amazing things. So why don't you share a little bit about you and you know, the work that you're doing?
1: Well, first of all, thank you for being a guest on the Thrive School podcast and for um, staying connected there and for reaching back out so that we could have this conversation as well. Um, second of all, in terms of you know who am I and what do I do, um, that is the ultimate question, isn't it? Uh, we're all struggling with that, but uh, I'm a traditionally trained economist turned entrepreneur, turned serial entrepreneur, but not like fruit Loops, like multiple businesses, like different kinds of cereal. So that's kind of like, that's my background. And, you know, I have a few different, I have a software company and a co-working space company and an education company. And um, everything I do comes back to the core of my heart, which is to, I'm on a mission to eradicate generational poverty by helping entrepreneurs create thriving businesses and I come from a family, you know, where, you know, sort of several generations of bad financial decisions uh, that I was born into. And I was then cast as the golden boy to go change our family's trajectory and go off to this place called college, where you get a piece of paper that magically changes your life. And I got a couple pieces of paper from college actually that say that I know some things. Uh and it didn't really change my life dramatically, I hate to say. And this is true for a lot of people in my generation. Is, um that uh, the, I was really disappointed by academia as a path to really opening up new doors in my career. And so I kind of, I just went back to the drawing board and was like, Hey, okay, why are we doing this? Why are we all spending tens of thousands of dollars that we don't have to go to classes we don't enjoy, to learn subjects we don't care about, to get jobs we don't like? And this just says like a bad deal. So as I started kind of going back to, and I did work for an economics research lab in college and outside of college. And so as I went back to that and just kind of looking at my experience there with economics degree, I realized that we weren't really talking enough about the everyday entrepreneur. And so I just kind of, I just began this exploration of what it means to be an entrepreneur. And I really just fell in love with entrepreneurship um, as a path to eradicating generational poverty. If you want to start a business and you want to be wildly successful, you want to start a thriving business that fuels your life and make the world a better place. You don't need a college degree. You don't need $10,000 in the bank. You don't need 10,000 friends. You don't need a venture capital investor writing you a million-dollar check. All you need is to have clarity and passion to create a real solution to a real problem for real people. That's the basis of good business. And when you do that, you thrive.
0: And, and that's an amazing definition. And you know I've heard... You know, variations of that, you know, from, you know, if you, you know, the Zig Ziglers and all the others that, you know, that, you know, say, you know, if you, if you want to thrive in life, help people thrive in life. Exactly. And when you do that, we all reap the benefits from that. You know, the work that I do, you know, this from the show, you know, I work with organizations and individuals on burnout prevention. Why? you know it's like okay yeah i had my own burnout story but that that's not a big enough reason for me to do it mm-hmm. i i rebounded from it i as a consumer i as someone that's part of society wants everybody to live healthy and well lives so they can do the things they dream and want to do with when they want where they want and how they want so they can thrive so they are living their ideal life it's for me it's like it, it's success for them and success is different for everybody it's like what's what's your version of success what what would make your life quote-unquote successful all right we'll take the necessary steps to get there and create an environment where they can because everyone can i know a lot of people think oh it's not for me i don't i i was done and no you know what Your story you just shared is proof. You know, a lot of people went through all kinds of different challenges, financial setbacks. Maybe you have, you know, family members that grew up during the Great Recession or, excuse me, the Great Depression, and we had the Great Recession and all these different challenges. And like I said, you went, you went, got a college degree. You know, my, my brother and I, in my, eight cousins uh, on my mom's side, you know, we're the only two that went to college. And on that side of the family, our late uncle Joe was the only one that had a college degree and I'll, you know, tongue in cheek story real quick. Uncle Joe was a little out there. Okay. I love him dearly, sweet kindred soul, but he made some interesting, crazy choices in life, not dangerous or harmful, but just some really Mm -hmm. interesting choices and habits and whatnot. And, My brother and I were both scared. It's like, if we get a college degree, we're going to start acting like that. We may want to rethink (laughs) this and just drop out right now. But um, no, I love him and miss him. But again, those degrees as, you know, over 80% of people that have degrees, they're not working in the field that Mm -hmm. their degree is in. Yeah. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Oh, for sure. Well, I mean, okay. So I wrote this new book. It's called Survive and Thrive, How to Build a Profitable Business in Any Economy, including this one. And one of the things that I talk about in the book is that we've made this shift from the age of information to the age of insight. And the World Economic Forum is really the first that turned me on to this idea that the age of information is over, which is kind of a crazy thing to say. It's sort of like there was a time in history where there was a stone age and then there was a bronze age. And if it's the bronze age and you've still got a workshop full of tools made of stone, you are irrelevant. <laughs> And so to stay with the times, you've got to learn how to use bronze. The same thing is true today in that the age of information just ended. And if your business is built on getting people access to piles of information, then you're out of date, you're relevant, and you need to shift because every single one of us has this supercomputer in our pocket that we can take out and talk to and say, hey, what is the answer to the meaning of life? Uh, Maybe not that one, but all the lots of other questions that you can get the answer to. Um, Actually, fun fact, uh, I'm Eastern Orthodox, and the Orthodox Christian Church does actually have an official answer to the question of what is the meaning of life, but that's a whole other subject. Uh, But the point is, we all have access to all the information in the world. And so that's a really exciting thing until you realize that we're spending all of our energy ignoring information. I mean, Bloomberg… Assessed that the average American sees 10,000 advertisement messages a day between email subject lines, you know, banner ads, you know, Facebook posts, billboards, 10,000 a day. So we're spending all our, our time and energy ignoring emails, ignoring notifications, ignoring information, because we don't want information anymore. We want insight. Now, insight is information that's been distilled through the filter of experience, And so, you know, Michael, what you do on the show, right, is you don't, you don't like, you don't go on the show and you say like, all right, here are a hundred thousand ways you can eliminate burnout. You say, no, based on my experience and the research that's out there and the information that's out there, I can tell you, here's the handful of things that actually matter. And that's you, Michael, speaking from your insight to actually filter information. So you're already doing this, but a lot of colleges don't do this. They still have classes where they just teach you everything possible that you can maybe know about a subject. And my uh, sister-in-law got a degree in marketing. And when she graduated and she married into our family, about the same time I married into the family. So like she married, we, anyways, she married Jake. I married Rachel, they were siblings. Um, Then we got to know each other and realized pretty quickly she said, John, I have a marketing degree, but I don't know what the heck you're doing over there with, and you're actually running, you're actually doing marketing, right? Cause I was running online courses and email marketing campaigns and copywriting and social media marketing. None of that. She was actually taught how to do, she, but she could tell you about the history of marketing and maybe, you know, kind of like where marketing fits in the organization chart in a company, but that's not insight. That's not practical. And so sure enough, she doesn't work in marketing right anymore <laughs> or ever really. Um, so I think one of the reasons why college is becoming increasingly relevant is because they haven't adapted. I think if if, if there's anyone who's listening to this, that's part of a college administration or maybe a, on a board or a donor for a college, and you're thinking, well, John, that sounds quite depressing. How can we adapt and change? I'll tell you this. It's focused on doing two things. One, giving students only the insight they need. So what are the two, three, four, or five things they need to actually understand about their industry? And secondarily, giving them opportunities. I say secondarily, but they go hand in hand. You need both of these. Give them hands-on experience to use that insight. Bring back the apprenticeship programs. I'm not talking about the way we do internships today. I'm talking about bringing back the journey from where the path to go from an apprentice to a journeyman to a master in your field and have people that actually certify you based on your skills. Um, I think if you do that, then it would take completely reinventing the college experience to become a lot more relevant. Uh, but until then, probably not. Well and that's the thing. We've we've seen such a
0: divide between academia and what the quote unquote real world and I'm not yes. making I'm not making light of academia. I know a lot of people, college professors and all of that, and the work that they do is, is impressive and, and meaningful, but it's what we need as a society. And you know, teaching, you know, new grads or you know, people that are in college or university. If you want to own a business, you know, what are, you know, I know one of the things you -hmm. talk about in your book is, you know, what there's so, and we use the analogy a little bit ago in my burnout things, like here's a hundred things to avoid burnout. But uh, in your situation, it's like in a business, it's like, there's only a handful of things. I believe Mm -hmm. there's five that you mentioned. So what are five things that every business needs to work on in order to be and set themselves up for success and to be able to thrive in whatever industry they're in?
1: Sure. Well, um, I think the five that you may be referring to what I teach is that there are only five growth models in business that you can use to grow your business. But actually, here's the kicker, Michael. I actually recommend my clients and students and the, and the, and, and the businesses I work on myself to have just one growth model. So there are five that you can pick from, but just pick one because you need to distill your focus and, and dial into that. So those five growth models, and by the way, you probably know some of this. Like you're thinking, how do you grow your business? Well, you could probably list a hundred ways to grow your business, but that's not helpful. You need one that you can focus on that works. All the different ways to grow your business uh, can be fit under five umbrellas. One of them is uh, viral viral growth, also known as word of mouth marketing. Viral growth doesn't just mean you get 100,000 views on your TikTok video. Viral growth means it spreads much like A virus, like, I don't know, COVID-19. Let's just pick that as an example. Uh, It just seems fresh in the mind. Um, A virus spreads from person to person to person to person to person. Anybody, if you you have had COVID-19, that does not mean that you interacted with patient zero, the first person to ever experience it, right? It spreads from person to person to person. Viral growth is the same way. It means I might tell you, hey, here's this really cool thing you should check out, like my book, Survive and Thrive. And then you read it. And you go, this is a great book. And then you tell your friend, Susan, and you say, Susan, you should read this book. It's a great book. That is viral growth because I don't know Susan, right? I know people named Susan, but you get the metaphor. Um, so that's viral growth. The second is uh, paid growth. And so this one's probably the most straightforward, but also the most also complicated and easily misunderstood. Um, but, you know, it's like Facebook ads, billboards, Google ads. They all fit into this category of if you put in a dollar, can you get more than a dollar back out? Uh, and that's the kicker because in 2018, Wicked Reports analyzed, I think it was like $2 billion worth of ad spend data. I could have that number wrong. That's off the top of my head. But billions of dollars worth of ad spend data they analyzed in 2018 and discovered that the average return on ad spend was negative 50%. In other words, most people who are spending money on ads are losing money. So they're putting in a dollar and they're getting out 50 cents. That's a bad deal. So paid advertising is not just the panacea that it's often sold as. It can be incredibly lucrative if you get it right. But if you get it wrong, it can be very expensive. The third is sticky growth. Now, this is the idea here is, is to, have, to develop irreplaceable infrastructure. So think of this, as, QuickBooks is a great example of this. If you use QuickBooks in your business to manage your uh, invoices or your business records or your payroll uh, or your tax filings, you're never going to switch off of QuickBooks. It doesn't matter if someone comes along and they're like, my software is like a little bit cooler. And you say, I don't care. I have years of history in QuickBooks. I'm never moving. That's sticky growth. And so because of that, QuickBooks can spend all kinds of money on, you know, on inbound and outbound sales reps to sell their product. And they could spend huge amounts of money to sponsor big conferences and just get their brand in front of you because they know once you sign up, even though it's a low conversion rate, you are there for life. (laughs) So then the other two growth models, and those first three, by the way, were come from, I mean, I have my own spin on them, but originally I learned about them first in The Lean Startup by Eric Ries. But then I added two more um, that I think are different. One of them is search engine optimization, which or SEO, which is sort of like referral or viral marketing, but it's, I'm sorry, like viral marketing, but it's more like robot referrals. You know, you've got, a, Google is telling someone about your business. Where, um, and that's where you want to become the, basically the Wikipedia of your industry. And the fifth is affiliate growth which is kind of like paid growth, except for an affiliate growth, you only pay people for a commission if they drive results, so if you get someone to promote your business. So the key that I found to success in your business and growing is to pick one of those five. Don't try to do all five, because that's what a lot of people do. They do a little bit of all five, or maybe three, or maybe four. But just pick one and hyper-focus on that, and you'll thrive. And
0: it's one of those things where there's synergies between doing work and preventing burnout and the reason mm-hmm. being and you said it you know you've got those five things people say okay I'm gonna go do all five well you're you're spreading yourself so thin yes. you're not going to move anything forward you're you know even though there's some similarities with a couple of them each of those things use different skills different mindset different thought patterns and, and habits and all of that so what happens is you, you're not getting anywhere so you go okay what should I work on for my business mm-hmm. to grow and thrive and and look at it and get outsider point of view as well. You know, have advisors and say, okay, you know, it probably makes sense for you to do this. And you, real quick, you mentioned QuickBooks to date myself. I actually used QuickBooks 1.0 for DOS when wow. it first came out because we were using an organization I was with at the time. We were actually using Quicken, but it didn't have a really good accounting entity to it. So we're using Peachtree Accounting, which really dates me. Uh, but So all the accountants that are listening are going, wow, you are old. But anyway, <laughs> Quick, you know QuickBooks, I love that analogy because they've... You know, evolved. there are people that have been using QuickBooks for decades, and mm-hmm. they've adjusted it, and they're like, yeah, I'm not switching from that, and, you know, they have a, having a subscription model, you know. Disclaimer: I'm not getting sponsored by them unless they want to. Um, I use <laughs> I, I use QuickBooks Small Accounting for my own business, and because mm-hmm. I'm like I know QuickBooks, I've been using it for a while, so and yeah. it works really well, and it's got a lot more bells and whistles than that first version, that's for sure. But it, I'm you know, sure
1: that and that's and that's a good point. Even if you're going to choose sticky growth as your growth model, you still have to remain relevant, right? You still have to keep updating your platform, but you don't really have to go back and win a bunch of customers. You just got to keep your core customers engaged. Um, and it was smart The QuickBooks switched to a subscription model, because if you have sticky growth, but you only have like a one-time sale, that's just a bad business. Because then it's sort of like, you know, um, you're selling one product and someone's going to use it forever and never pay you another dollar. Well, you're going to run out of customers before too long. So, um, QuickBooks is smart to switch to a subscription.
0: Yeah, and it's a lot of the platforms, we see it with all of the streaming devices where you know, people are not necessarily keeping their cable subscriptions anymore, but they're subscribing to all these other services that are providing them the content that they want to watch and... You know, lo and behold, if they subscribe to all of them, they're paying more than they were for their cable bill. But that's another story. That's a yes. fine that's a finance discussion. And well, you no, know.
1: but that's actually a great example of a difference in this shift between the age of information to the age of insight. Because one of the characteristics of the age of well, some of this actually predates the age of information. But the idea that there were gatekeepers in every industry, they got to decide what was published and what you got to consume. So if you want to publish a book, you better hope that, you know, one of the 10 publishers who actually have a reach or influence or distribution approve your book. If you want to make some sort of change politically or religiously, you better hope that, you know, the Pope or the president or the king is going to listen to you. I mean, this is throughout most of human history. But now all you need to do is pull out your phone, type a few words, and you could publish a book right now. (laughs) It may not be very good, um, but you can. You know, and the same thing goes is that no one's going to stop you from posting your opinion online either. And so these gatekeepers have kind of shifted. So whereas cable television and uh, any television channel was kind of acting like one of the last examples of gatekeepers, and they get to decide what you're watching right now. So you tune into Channel 4, and you get to watch whatever Channel 4 thinks you should be watching right now, whether it's a commercial or a show. And people realize, no. I want access to what I want. I'm in control. The consumer's in control here. And that's why streaming platforms have dominated. It's not just because, I mean, like, not just because of the type of content they have, because actually many of the shows that are on Netflix and Hulu are also on TV, or were at least at some point. What, the difference is not just the quality of the material, it's the difference in access. It's that, pe- it's that it gives the consumers control to say, you know what, you get to choose when you engage with what content. Um, and so that's a shift. That's another example of the shift from the age of information to the age of uh, insight.
0: So, what think? What do you think's next? What do you think the next shift is uh, in business? I mean, obviously, insight is going to be the big thing. But where, where are some you know industries you think? And this is a big question. But let me see sure. if I can narrow it down a little. I'll bit. take it. Um, what do you think? What industries do you think are going to be able to thrive uh, in this shift to? an insight type of world. Mm. And are there any that you think might have some challenges, at least in the short term?
1: Sure. So the first thing I will say is that the age of insight is just beginning. So it'll take decades really for us to move into this era. And so the first thing that happens is right away, people's, the demand for curators has already has already risen more than the supply. In other words, people are looking for you, someone out there to be their go-to guru on a hundred different subjects about their life. I mean, that's a, that's a characteristic of the age of insight is that I don't want to read 20 articles about 20 different types of dress shirts that I should wear. I want one person I trust on Instagram or in an email newsletter to tell me what three shirts I should buy right now. And that's true in almost every industry and every decision, you know, that like we're all looking for like that person to tell us, okay, what's the one thing I should do to lose weight or what's the one thing I should do to run faster? If that's important to you, right? It's the only things that are important to you that you actually want a guru for, but you know, you want someone that you trust to tell you, um, you know, how to prepare your meals or how to take care of your spouse or your children. And so there's all this demand really just to pick a target group of people who have real problems they care about, they need solutions for, and become the solution provider to them. And so I think that's huge. I think that's just beginning. And that'll be a shift that'll take a long time to really continue to max out. So this this is a big blue ocean over here. Um, So that's exciting. The second thing I would say is that with the shift to the uh, age of insight, also simultaneously, and related is another shift to what some economists call the attention economy. Now, there's an economist who won a Nobel Prize for coming up with this terminology, and uh, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but he's wonderful. Um, but the attention economy is just this whole thing that if you ever took Econ 101, if you've ever even heard of economics or finance, you've probably heard of supply and demand, right? There's two things, markets are made up of supply and demand. If there's, and where supply and demand connect, that's the price. But I was asking a friend of mine yesterday, he owns a coffee roasting company. I said, "I said, how much coffee could you roast this year? He said, "Uh, let me think. Uh, I mean, I guess, okay, I think the most we could make is about 120,000 pounds. And I said, could you make more? He said, yeah, I guess we could. We just had to get a bigger machine. The reality is in, in today's market, supply in almost every industry is almost infinite. And that's new. Right. The idea that you can 3D print something or ship it from another country or or outsource it or or digitally copy it. I mean, you talk about like, you know, how many how many episodes are your or how many times can you uh, sell an ebook? All of them. Right. I mean, there's no limits. There's no constraints. And so supply is becoming a non-issue in a lot of industries. And so like a bookstore, for example, this is a great example of businesses that will either die out or they will innovate. A bookstore can continue to operate as if we're in a supply-based economy where you walk in the door and they say, come in, we have lots of books. We have all the books. And you go, I have all the books too in my pocket. I can just hit a button and I have all the books in the world more books than you carry. Or they can recognize that in the attention economy, what matters is the curation where they can say, come to our bookstore. We have the best sci-fi novels in the world. Some you've never heard of. And you go, yes, if you're into sci-fi, you want to go to there. You know, and that's also where they have meetups and showings of you know, sci fi movies. And like, it becomes a whole cultural phenomenon. That's, th- that's the businesses that will succeed are the ones that recognize their role has shifted. They're not in control of supply, they're not. We all have access to it. Um, their, intro- their job is curation. And the attention economy is called that because the true, most powerful uh, people in this new economy are attention brokers. They're people who have people's eyeballs, have people's attention, because if you have that, then that's the currency of today. So do you have an email list? Do you have that followers on social media? Um, If you have people paying attention to you, I mean, it's it's mind boggling. I mean, there are people who are paid $10,000 to post a picture of themselves on Instagram wearing a specific pair of shoes. Because they're attention brokers, not because they're business moguls or because they have some kind of patent on something. It's because they have people's attention. And so that's what's going to make the difference in the coming economy uh, is if you have people's attention and if you're willing to own that and keep that by becoming a curator.
0: Yeah, I love the analogy of the curator. And, and yeah, you, know, you see people you know, wearing different kind of things and monetizing you know, the use of their brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way to uh, to you know basically highlight another brand, and it's it's interesting to watch the dynamics of all of this. And you know, real quick before we wrap up, the bookstore analogy. in, in Canada, um, the main bookstore is Indigo or Chapters, and in their store, and most of their stores, you know, are usually two levels. And I would say about fifty percent of the door or the, the store is actual books. The rest of it is, you know, notebooks and paper and household type items, coffee, you know, cooking type of accessories and, and all of that kind of stuff. So they they're not just a bookstore; they got all kinds of different things. But one of the things, as far as their books are concerned, is their CEO. Her name is Heather. So in the main entrance of their store, they have this big banner. It says Heather's Picks,
1: mm-hmm. and it's a
0: series of ten. Maybe twenty books, in all the books they have that are her picks, and they're usually discounted a little bit. Um, and there are a lot of people that will go month after month and buy what Heather recommends because they know who she is and you know, they they understand that. and recommend. It's at Barnes and Noble should do it if they haven't. I haven't been in a and in a while, uh, but no. Um, but but, would, but
1: here's the thing: that's the, the difference because Barnes and Noble has something like that. But the Barnes & Noble thing is like, it's like Barnes & Noble's favorites. Who's yeah. Barnes & Noble? It's not yeah. a real person. We yeah. know you're that when we, we automatically assume we see something like Barnes & Noble, like it'll say recommended reads. And we're like, oh, so these are the ones that you want us to buy to make you a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. But when I say something, I love the brilliance of that where it says Heather's mm-hmm. Picks. Because yeah. all of a sudden it's like, whether or not you know the CEO of the bookstore chain, <laughs> she's a real human being. And you yep. can connect that with the name.
0: And and she's front and center and she does a lot of different things. So people that are familiar with the chain know who she is. And it makes such a big difference. And she's thriving. And you know, people that go in that store thrive because they they, they know, you know, what it takes for them to be able to thrive. So John, I've loved this conversation. Congratulations again on the book. So where can people find out more about you and this awesome work you do?
1: Uh, go to surviveandthrivebook.com. I mean, this is a brand new book, um, just came out, and you know, it's already been number one bestseller in direct marketing and marketing for a small business, and that's exciting, um, and top 100 books in entrepreneurship. Um, so the, I'm excited about that because this book is something that I'm trying to really just be part of the solution to the many problems created by the last year and a half of chaos. And so- uh, if you're interested in that and being part of the solution, please go to surviveandthrivebook.com, get yourself a copy. There are some bonuses you can see there on, the, on the, that website that go with the book that you get for free when you uh, get a copy. Um And then if you like it, get a copy for a friend or someone else who needs it. If someone else has a business and maybe isn't doing great and you want them to do great, get them a copy. If maybe you have a friend who's been talking about starting a business for years, but they haven't yet, get them a copy. Um, this is meant to really be a crash course. I love that. Some reviewers have called it a weekend MBA, but it's a lot cheaper than an MBA. So get yourself one.
0: Definitely. And I'll have that information in the show notes. So again, John, thank you so much for your time and congratulations great. again on the book.
1: Thanks, Michael. Keep up the good work.